last chapter was chapter six, and I know I said at the end of the end of chapter eight, but I got discombobulated. Sorry. This is chapter seven, and I like for the most part most of this chapter. I just don't like the end of this chapter. But I can say that about a bunch of these chapters. So chapter seven. Count Bounder's meeting with his volunteer staff was a cheerful rite of surprises. Libby found herself working with women she knew only by name in a few months earlier. Now she was suddenly in the cream of society, but with women who didn't snub her or look down their noses at her social position. Libby was delighted to find herself working with Violet, who'd come straight from her job at Duke Wright's ranch for the meeting. This is great, Violet exclaimed, hugging Libby. I miss working with you. <laughs> I miss you too, Violet, Libby assured her. She shook her head as she looked at the other woman. You look great, Violet grinned. She dropped at least two dress sizes. She was well-rounded, but no longer ob obese even to the most critical eye. She had her brown hair frosted and was, and it was wavy around her face and shoulders. She was wearing a low-cut dress that emphasized the size of her pretty breasts and her small waist and bulbous hips, along with high heels that arched her small feet nicely. I worked hard at the gym, Violet confessed. She was still laughing when her eyes collided with Blake Kelps. Kelps. Across the room, the expression left her face. She burned her eyes. Excuse me, won't you, Libby? I came with Kurt. You uh, don't mind, do you? She had a word like, don't be silly, Libby said with a generous smile. Kurt's nice, so are you. I think you make a lovely couple. Still happy with Duke Wright, Miss Hardy? Came a cold. Biting comment from Libby's back, Blake Cap moved into view, his pale eyes expressing expressive on Violet's pretty figure and the changes in the way she dressed. I'm very happy with them, Mr. Cap, Violet said, clasping her hands together tightly. If you'll excuse me. You've lost weight, Cap said gruffly. Violet's eyes wide. And you actually noticed? <laughs> the muscles in his face on it. It looked nice. Violet's jaw dropped. She was literally at possible words. Her eyes left, lifted the caps, and they stood staring at each other for longer than was polite, neither speaking or moving. Cap shifted restlessly on long legs. How's your mother? Violet swallowed hard. She's not doing very well, I'm afraid, you know. About the exhumation. Kept <laughs> on. We're still in the process of evaluating Kurt and Libby's father's remains as well at the crime lab. So far, they have nothing to report. Violet looked beside him at Libby and Liz. I didn't know Libby. I'm so sorry. So am I for you, Libby replied. We didn't want to do it, but we had to know for sure. Will they really be able to tell anything? After all this time, Violet asked Captain. She actually moved a step closer to him. Seemed to catch his breath. He was looking at her only. I assume so. His voice was deeper too. Involuntary his lean fingers reached out, touched Violet's long hair. <laughs> I like the frosting, he said reluctantly. Makes your eyes look bluer, does it? Violet asked. But her eyes were staring into his. If she found treasure there, the mute smile. Libby excused herself and joined her brother, who was talking to the police chief. Cash Grier noticed her approach and smiled. He looked older somehow, and there were new lines around his dark eyes. Hi, chief. She greeted him. How's it going? Don't want to ask Kurt, but he's in the middle of a controversy. So are we, Libby asked. We're on the wrong side of the election, and Jordan Powell was very said, <laughs> We're on the right side, Cash said carelessly. The city fathers are 
in for a rude awakening. He leaned down. I have friends in high places. He paused. I also have friends in low places. He couldn't. Libby and Kurt burst out laughing because they recognized the lines from a country song they all love. A cow and Ballinger joined them, clapping cash on the pack. Thank you for coming, he said. Even if it is putting another nail in your coffin with the mayor. The mayor can kiss my cash, glanced at Livia and grinned. Never mind. <laughs> she lived with me all her life, Kurt remarked. She's practically unshockable. I was a tippy. Calhoun asked. Doing better, thanks. She'd have come too, but she's still having a bad time. No wonder. Calhoun replied, calling the order your DP had been through, in the hands of kidnappers had been in all the tablets. Good thing they caught the culprits who kidnapped them. Isn't that cash said not giving away that they caught them with the help of an old goalie? <sighs> nice turnout, Calhoun. He added, I thought you invited Judd. <laughs> I did, Calhoun said one. But the twins have a cold. Damn it, cash coomers. I told Judd that he and Christy needed to stop running that air conditioner all night. Wasn't that accounting for her? They went to the Coltrane's birthday party for their son, his second birthday, and that's where they got the Colts. Cash side. Poor babies. He's their godfather, counting to Livinker, but he thinks Jasmina belongs to him. She does, Cash replied hotly. Nobody mentioned what the, what the tabloids had said that Tippy had been pregnant with Cash's child a few weeks earlier and lost it just ordeal with kidnapping. Libby diplomatically changed the subject. Mr. Cap said that you can put up campaign posters in our office windows, he told Cowan, and Barbara's willing to let you put up as many as you like in her cafe. She had it with a grin. She said she's never going to forgive Julie Merrill for making a scene there. Cowan chuckled. I've had that sort of offer all week, he replied. Nobody wants Senator Merrill back in office, but the city fathers is throwing their support behind him, and he thinks he's unbeatable. What we really need is a change in city government as well. We're in our second mayor in eight months, and this one is afraid of his own shadow. <laughs> he's also Senator Merrill's nephew, Kurt added, which is why he's trying to make my officers back down on those DUI, DWI charges, gas driver interposed. I like to see it. Carlos Garcia wouldn't back down from anybody. Carlos News or Officer Danny Hall either. Miss Hall came to my assistance at the courthouse this week. Louis Vaulty, Julie Merrill slapped me. Officer Hall was more than willing to arrest her if I agreed to press charges. Good for Dana. <sighs> you be careful, Miss Collins. That woman has poor impulse control. Wouldn't put a bastard to try and run somebody down. Neither would I, Kurt Adderley. She's already told Jordan some furious lies about us and he believes her. She can be very convincing, Libby said, not waiting to verbally attack Jordan even now. It may get worse now, with all of you backing me. Counting told the small group, I wouldn't have any hard feelings if you want to withdraw your sport. Do I look like the sort of man who backs away from trouble? Cash asked lazily with a grin. Speaking of Duke Wright, Libby murmured dryly, he's throwing his support to Mr. Ballinger too, but he had um, reservations about coming to the meeting. Cash chuckled, I don't hold grudges. Yeah, yes, but he does. County said it on chuckle. He'll get over it. He's got some personal problems right now. Don't we all? Cash replied wistfully, and his dark eyes were troubled. Libby and Kurt didn't add their two cents worth, but they exchanged quiet looks. 
The campaign was wind down for the primary, but all the polls gave Calhoun a huge lead over Merle. <laughs> Printed materials were ordered, along with buttons, pencils, bumper stickers, and keychains. There was enough promotion, pro promotional matter to blanket the town in days that followed. Calhoun supporters did exactly that in Jacobs County in the surrounding area, the state senatorial district that Merrill represented. Julie Merrill was acting as her father's campaign manager and she was coordinating events for promotion with a group of teenagers she hired. Some of them were delinquents and there was a rash of vandalism pertaining to the destruction of Calhoun's campaign posters. Cash Cryer predictably went after the culprits and rounded them up. Got one to talk, and the newspaper revealed that Miss Merrill had paid the young man to destroy Calhoun's campaign literature. Julie denied it, but the vandalism stopped. Meanwhile, acting Mayor Ben Brady was mounting a vibrant defense for Senator Merrill on the drunken driving charges, trying to make things hot for the two officers. He ordered them suspended and tried to get the city council to back him up. Cash got wind of it and phoned Simon Hart, state's attorney general. Simon phoned the city attorney, and they had a long talk. Soon afterward, the officers were notified that they could stay on the job until the hearing the following month. Meanwhile, the state crime lab revealed the results of its reports to Blake Kemp. He walked up to Libby's desk while she was on the phone and waited impatiently for her to hang up. They can't find any evidence of foul play, Libby. He said at once, if there was any, they would, she asked quickly, you know, I'm almost certain of it. The crime lab verified our medical examiner's diagnosis of myocardial infraction. So Janet's off the hook for that one, at least. Libby sat back with a long sigh and closed her eyes. Thank God I couldn't have lived with it if she poisoned Daddy, and we never knew, he nodded. On the other hand, they had paid dirt with Violet's father. He added, she said, poison? Yes, he said heavily. I'm not going to phone her. I'm going over to Duke Wright's place to tell her in person. Then I'll take her home to talk to her mother. She'll need somebody with her. Yes, she would, and Libby was secretly relieved that Cap was going to be the person. Violet would never show, would need a shoulder to cry on. I'll phone Kurt and tell him, she said. Libby, give me a half an hour first, she said quietly. I don't want him to tell Violet. She wondered why, but she wasn't going to cry. Okay, Miss Reefly. Thanks. What about Janet? She wondered miserably. They still haven't found her. They will. Now all we need is a witness who can place her with Mr. Hardy the night of his death, and we can have her arrested and charged with murder. Chance would be a fine thing, Mr. Cap. She said, don't give up hoping, Shirty. She's not getting away with your inheritance. I promise. She managed to smile. Thanks. But she wasn't really convinced. She went home that afternoon feeling lost and alone. She told Kurt the good news after Violet had gone home with Kip. Kurt had been as relieved as she had, but there was still the problem of probate. Everything was in Janet's name, and as their father had instructed, Janet had the insurance money. Nobody could do anything with the estate until the will was probated, and Janet had to sign the papers for that. It's a financial nightmare. There was a message on the answer machine when Libby got home. She pushed the play button and her heart sank right to her ankles. This is the loan officer to Jacobsville Savings and Loan. Came to Pleasant Five. We just wanted to remind you that your loan payment was due three days ago. Please call us if there's a problem. The caller gave her name and position and her telephone number. The line went dead. Libby sat down beside the phone and just stared at it. Kurt had told her already that they weren't going to be able to make the payment. Jordan had assured her that he wasn't going to loan her the money to pay it. There was nobody else they would feel comfortable asking. She put her face in her hands and let the tears fall. The financial instability would repossess the ranch. It wouldn't matter 
where Janet was or what state the probate action was in, they were going to lose their home. She went out to the barn and ran the curry comb over Bailey, her father's horse. He was the last horse they had. The barn leaked. It was starting to rain, and Libby felt raindrops falling on her shoulder through a rip in the tin roof from a small tornado that had torn through a month earlier. The straw on the floor of the barn needed changing, but the hay crop had ground in the flooding. They had to buy some. Libby looked down at her worn jeans at the small hand resting on them. The tiger's eye ring her father had given her looked ominous in the darkened barn. She sighed and turned back to the horse. Bailey, I don't know what we're going to do, she told the old horse, who neighed as if he were answering her. The sound of a vehicle pulling up in the yard diverted her. She looked down the long aisle of the barn to see Jordan's pickup truck sitting at the entrance. Her heart skipped as he got out and came striding through the dirty straw. His cotton shirt speckled with raindrops that had escaped the wide brim of his white straw hat. What do you want? she asked, trying to ignore him to finish grooming Joe. Grooming Joe on him. My two new thoroughbreds are missing. She turned and the curry combs suspicion in her small hand. And you think we took them? She asked. You honestly think we'd steal from you, even if we were starving? He averted his face as if to question that woman. Please leave, she said through her teeth. He rammed his hands into his pockets and moved a step closer. We can pass her to Bailey. That horse is useless for ranch work. He's all 20. He's my horse, she replied. And I'm not getting rid of him, whatever happens. She felt his lean power body. Libby, about that bank loan. Kurt and I are managing just fine, thanks, she said without turning. His big, strong hands came down heavily on her shoulders. The bank president is a good friend of the mayor's. She pulled away from him, looked up. Her unspoken fears in her eyes. They can't do anything to us without Janet, she told him. She has legal power of attorney. Damn it, I know that, he murmured. But it's not going to stop the bank from foreclosing, don't you see? You can't make the loan payment. What business is that of yours? She asked bitterly. He drew on his low hand. I can talk to the president of the Jacobsville Merchant Bank for you, he said. You might be willing to work out something for the land. You incurred camp working anyway, and you don't have the capital to invest in it. The best you can do is sell off your remaining cattle and give it up. She couldn't even manage words. She had no options at all, and he had to know it. She could, she could almost hate him. We can't sell anything, she said harshly. I told you, Janet has power of attorney, and she was named in Daddy's will as the sole holder of the property. We can't even sell a stick of furniture. We're going to have to watch the bank foreclose, Jordan, because Janet has our hands tied. We're going to lose everything Daddy worked for all his life. Her lower lip trembled. She couldn't even finish the sentence. Jordan stepped forward and wrapped her up tight in his horns, holding her while she ran. Damn, what a mess. <laughs> she bit a small fist against his mouth. Why? She moaned, why? His arms tight. I don't know, baby. He whispered at her ear. His voice deep. I wish I did. She nuzzled closer, drowning in the pleasure of being close to him. Been so long since he held her. She has frozen fell heavily. Kept's detective hasn't tracked her down yet. <laughs> Not yet, but she didn't kill Daddy. The autopsy showed that he died of a heart attack. That's something, I guess, he murmured. But Violet's daddy was poisoned, she added quietly, her eyes open, as they stared past Jordan's broad chest. Tori's truck parked at the front of the barn, so they'll still get her for murder if they can ever find her. Poor Violet, he said. Yes. His hands moved her hair, tangled in a wavy short string. 
You smell roses, Libby, he murmured. Deeply in the pressure of his arms changed in some subtle way. She feel the sudden tautness of his lean body against her, the increasing warmth of his embrace. But he taken Julie's side against her, and she wasn't completely comfortable being in his arms anymore. She tried to pull away, but he wouldn't let her go. Don't fight me, he said. You know you don't want to. I don't. He lifted his head and looked down into her misty and wet green eyes. His voice was deep with him. You haven't stopped wanting me. <laughs> I want hot chocolate too, Jordan, but it still gives me migraines, so I don't drink it. She said empathetically. Dark eyes, that's cute. You think you convinced me? Sure, she lied. He laughed mirthlessly, letting his dark eyes fall. Let's see. He bent, drawing his lips slowly, tenderly across her mouth in the teasing impression of a kiss. He would. He was lazy and gentle, and after a few seconds of imitating a plank of wood, her traitorous body betrayed her. She relaxed into the heat of his body with a shaky little sigh, found herself enveloped in his arms, kissed her again, hungrier this time, without the tenderness of her first brief exchange. <laughs> yes, he groaned, his long legs slide lazily against hers, and between them, while his big warm hands moved blatantly over her ribcage, his thumb sliding boldly right over her. Don't think he whispered against her part lips. Just give in, I won't hurt you. I know that, she whispered, but he nibbled on her lower lip. His thumbs edged out gently and found her nipples. They moved lazily, back and forth, coaxing the tips into hard little nubs. She shivered with unexpected pleasure, lifted his head and looked into her eyes while he did it again. If she was used to this sort of love play, it certainly didn't show. She was pliable. Yielding, absolutely fascinated with what he was doing to her body. She liked it. That was all we needed to know. His leg became insistent between hers, coaxing them to move apart to let the slow, exquisite imprint of his hips between her long legs. It was like that day in the alley beyond her, beyond her office when she hadn't cared if all Jakesville walked by while he was pressing her aching knee body against the brick wall. She was drowning in pleasure. Surely, she thought blindly, he couldn't be wrong to give in to something so sweet. His hands on her body were producing undreamed of sensations. He was giving her pleasure in hot, sweeping waves. He touched her and she arched for him, ached for more. He kissed her and she lifted against him to find his mouth and coaxed it into her door. One of her legs curled helplessly around his powerful thigh. She moaned when he accepted the silent invitation, moved into Near intimacy with her, he was aroused, he was powerful, but the hard thrust of him against her body, she wanted to rip off the clothes and invite his hands, his eyes, his body, to complete surrender with her. She wanted to feel the ecstasy she knew he could give her. He was skilled, masterful. He knew what she needed, what she wanted. He could give her pleasure beyond bearing. She knew it. Clean hands moved under her blouse searching for closeness, unfastening buttons, evading lace. She felt his fingers brush tenderly, lovingly over her bare breast in an intimacy she never shared with anyone. Her dreams of him had, had been her dreams of him had been this explicit, but she never thought she would live them in such urgent passion. As he touched her, she arched to help him, moved to encourage him, her mouth open wide under his. She felt his tongue suddenly thrust into it. With violent need, she moaned loudly, her fingertips gripping the hard muscle of his upper arms as he thrust her blouse and brawl up to her throat and bent at once to put his mouth on her breast. The warm, moist contact was shattering. 
She stiffened with the shock of pleasure it produced, tasted her in a hot, feverish silence, broken only by his urgent breathing, the rough sigh of her own voice in his Yes, he is living here, right here. You and me. I can give you more pleasure than that damn Harley ever seen giving you. Harley? Harley? She felt her body going on. Harley! She whispered. He lifted his head, looked down at her breast with grinding them. He's had you. He has not! Six blades shocked. He's ground and limbo caught between his insane need to possess her and his jealousy of the other man. She took advantage of his indecision by jerking out of his arms, pulling her blouse down. She dragged herself out of the stall. Scripted her fascinating while she flushed with embarrassment. What she just let him do to her. She looked devastated. Her hair was full of strong light clothes. Her green eyes were wild. Her face flushed. Her mouth swollen. He got to his feet, still in the grip of passion. Started toward her. His hat was off. His hair was wild from her searching fingers. His shirt was half open. Over her hair, must Come back here, he said. I was looking for it. No! She said firmly, I'll not stay in there for Julie Merrill. The word stopped him in his tracks. He hesitated. His brows beating over turbulent dark eyes. Remember, Julie, your girlfriend? She persisted shakingly, throwing his lover in his face. was a way to cover her heart for the insinuation he'd made about her heart. What in the world would she think if she could see you now? He strengthened but with an effort. His body was raging. He wanted Libby. Never wanted anyone anything as much as he wanted her. Julie has nothing to do with this, he ground out. I want you. <laughs> For how long, Jordan? She asked bitterly. Ten minutes. Thirty. He blinked. Mine was working. I know once. One nice dance. She lasted him. Not even yours. He took a deep breath. Then another one. Stared at her blankly while he tried to stop thinking about how sweet it was to feel a body under his. I want you to leave now. She repeated, folding her arms over her loose bra. She could feel the swollen contours of her breast. Remember, with pure shame, how I felt that touching kiss. That isn't what you wanted five minutes ago, he reminded her flatly. She closed her eyes. I'm grass green and stupid, she said curtly. Would be the first time an experienced man seduced an innocent girl. Don't make stupid jokes, he said icily. You're not innocent. You believe what you like about me, Jordan. Doesn't matter anymore, sure enough. I've got work to do. Why don't you go home? He glared at her. Frustrated desire, riding him hard. Cursed himself for running, ruining everything by bringing up Harley. You're a hard woman, Libby, he said. Harder than I ever realized. Goodbye, Jordan, she said as she turned away to pick up the curry comb. She dropped. He gave her a furious glare and stormed out of the barn. Two struck. Bailey jumped as Jordan slammed the door and left skid marks getting out of the driveway. She relaxed and Grateful that she managed to save herself from that masterful seduction. She had a close call. She had to make sure that Jordan never got so close to her again. She couldn't trust him. Not now. Into chapter 7. See why I don't like that chapter? I bet you think... You don't know which chap part of that chapter I don't like. Because I read it so perfect. But I don't like it.